Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Everybody, welcome tonight to tonight's Shear. Uh, we have a special share tonight. Tonight is Shear number. Rabbi Solomon, you ready? 31. 31. Excellent. Wow. Kept count. And we want to, first of all, again, I always start off thanking everybody that's really helping it grow because people that come on every week are talking about it and they're posting on the WhatsApp statuses, they're emailing. We're getting so much feedback. I'm going to talk about it right now, actually, because it's very interesting. Um, it's just that people are letting people know about it. It's really people are talking about it and that's how people are coming here. As you see, it's going to start filling up. And it's really a place for Sunday night people to come, bring on uh, the best of the best. Yaakov Solomon is already number tw twice here. We don't like to bring back people twice. So uh, it's a big compliment, I have to tell you. Obviously, people want you back. I'll take it. I'll take, take the compliment. You could and, uh, I want to again thank for everybody for, for helping us get out there. Um, I, I'm going to recap a little. Last week, we had a very big show with Rabbi Wiley Jacobson, and it was, it was a packed house. And so many things happened this year. We got so many emails of people that are going through tremendous hardships and... Uh, a lot of chesed would happen during this year. People help people and tremendous need. I just, I just wanted to say, you know, in front of everybody, we were very, very moved by last week's share. I'm sure Menachem will get into it. And um, for all those who are watching this video on YouTube afterwards, it's recorded. Please don't forget to subscribe to Coach Menachem's channel. So anytime a new video comes out, it comes out, you get notified about it. Also hit the like button. And I want to start off first with thanking all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop for over here, for always promoting us here in Lakewood. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Chazak, Ravi Anir from Chazak. For, offer, for always offer, offering program to all, go to chazak.org. Special thank you to Chayla Kaplan, Shul Summer from JCN, Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the Jewish platforms. We really appreciate it. Um, tonight, we also have uh, one of the sponsors, the Z, Z Stander, high-quality Lucite table, tabletop standards. The popular Z adjustment sit or stand model is customizable with personalized engraving, making it a perfect Hanukkah gift. If you can still order it in time, I don't know. Available at zstander.com, Z. S-T-A-N-D-E-R.com. Each, each week we give it to our speakers. Rabbi Solomon got one. You used it ready for Shabbos or not yet? No, I can't open it. It's too, uh, too much tape on it. Okay, listen, we got, it's got to be protected, but uh, enjoy it. And uh, that's what everybody to know about it. Uh, next Sunday is going to be December 13th. It's going to be Hanukkah. We will not be having a share. Me and Menachem made a corporate decision that since people will be having the Sunday Hanukkah parties with the family, Ooh. and we decided, you know something, let's just take a week off. We try to be very consistent. But uh, next Sunday will not be a share. But so the next show will be December 20th. It's every Sunday night. It's going to be uh, Matis Miller, one of the big therapists here in Lakewood. He actually wrote a book uh, discussing, you know, many years being a therapist, uh, dealing with unconsolable children, very difficult children. And he's, interact he's, he inter he's integrating his DBT methods that he learned over the years with dealing with children. And uh, I actually had a long talk with him about it. And it sounds very interesting. And uh, anybody who has children, I would definitely listen to it. Um, so I hope to see everybody December 20th. Coach Menachem, the host, please open up tonight. Thank you, thank you. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Rebosher. Welcome to another show, and let's get real with Coach Menachem, show number 31. And thank you, Rabbi Solomon, for coming back. It was a lot of um, positive feedback. And uh, like I said before, who believed last time we spoke that this is where we're going to be? And um, about COVID, we hope that it wouldn't be on the table. But I think it's still around, everybody in their situation. Uh, thank you for all the sponsors, for the anonymous sponsors that, that sponsored anonymously on coachmenachem.com. 
and helps us continue with our mission. So the title tonight is How to Stay Sane in an Insane World. Now, if you're looking at me or look at the title and you're wondering what's going on, you're pretty much doing great and uh, trying to figure out why are we calling this insane world, then I would invite you to open your camera, share with us how you do it. We would love to hear from you, how you live the peaceful, peace and calm life. But for many of us, uh, we're having a hard time with even basic stress, day-to-day -day things, and that's been, and what's going on in the world in general, talking about whether it's COVID, people have had real hardships, and with what's going on in the world, with the elections and uh, predicting who knows what. So I just want to share a little bit about stress. I'm sure we'll hear much more from Rabbi Solomon, but have you ever felt while you're sitting on the couch and it looks like you're relaxing, not doing anything, and for some reason you feel this nervousness, you're, there's something going on, you're just not relaxing. So obviously, even though your body is sitting and relaxing, but your mind is racing with so many thoughts, worrying thoughts, things that happened or what's gonna be tomorrow. And you actually feel it in your body, even though it looks like you're relaxing. So the same way when you have a room that's full of clutter and you walk in, you're tripping all over the place. There's so much going on. You just need to put things away so you can see what's going on, so you can walk in. The same thing you have to do with your mental space. Everybody's mental space needs to be decluttered. It could be pressure at work, facing uh, hardship with family, difficult relationships or handling, well, handling all of these battles and from the outside, it could look like you're managing, but inside, inside your mind, which is really controlling the way you feel, is clogged and you feel clogged up and sometimes even breathless. You have a hard time. So the question is how to declutter. And Mitch and tonight we'll hear more. And before we start, I have to mention, like Rabbi Yaakov Salman mentioned at the end of our share last time, that we need tefillah and siyata deshmaya because at the end of the day, Hashem is the one who, is, who runs the world. And again, it's, it starts with logically. It takes time till we take it in and we feel that way. But to believe that whatever happens to a person is, is Yad Hashem. Hashem is running the world and we can rely on him. So just a few ideas. Number one, to find the things that make you happy in life. Sounds easy. Yes, it might be work. Number two is exercising. You can wonder sometimes, you know, what would exercise help? But there is research that just by doing some exercise every day, it helps declutter the mind. And then another thing is how to zoom out, which maybe we'll hear more about tonight. And just one more thing before I give back the mic to Rabasha is called mindfulness. It's easy, it's interesting to see that most of the time stress is either things that happened 
in the past? Or what am I going to do about it tomorrow? But now, it's usually, usually not in a, in a crisis mode. And if you are, yes, you might have to get help right away. But you can look at where you're sitting now, sitting in front of a computer or on the phone. You know, what's going on now is okay, even if there's financial stress or other things going on. So there is stress about what am I gonna do about it tomorrow? But for now, I can take a deep breath and at least enjoy the moment. Well, easier said than done. And um, there's a lot more to go into to be able to learn these skills. But hopefully Mitchum tonight, we'll be able to hear a little bit through you people um, sharing and listening to the answers to be able to take some skills and practical skills. So we'll be able to put them to practice in Mitz Hashem with Siyata Deshmaya. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Coach Menachem, for opening up. Uh, tonight's share was sponsored by the Lazili Group. It's a recruiting agency um, that does executive level placements. Whether you're looking for a new job or a better opportunity, please, please feel free to, re to reach out. Confidentiality is of utmost importance to us. Resumes or inquiries can be sent to resumes at the Lazili Group. That's R-E-S-U-M-E-S -E at the Lazili Group, the Lazili, T-H-E-L-A-Z-U-L-I.com or feel free to message at 347-452-1880. That's 347-452-1880. And before Rabbi Yaakov and Solomon starts, just in case anybody doesn't know here, Baruch we have a large crowd this evening. Rabbi Solomon, this is when the starts coming in. They want to hear some different chizik. So I'm going to read your bio. So everybody who doesn't know who you are will read it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rabbi Yaakov Solomon, LCSW, is a noted psychotherapist. He's in private practice in Brooklyn, New York, and in Lakewood, New Jersey, for over 35 years. He served as a senior lecturer, creative director of Aisha Torah's Discovery Pro uh, Productions. He's also editor and author of the Archbro Publishing Series. Rabbi Solomon received his BA in psychology from the City University of New York. He graduated with honors from the Hunters College School of Social Work. Listen, I got to make sure you're a psychologist, right? You got to come on. I got to bill insurance after this. We got to make sure it's legal. Skip it. Rabbi Solomon is the co-author with Rabbi Noah Weinberg Zitzal of the best-selling book, What Angels Taught You, Seven Keys to Life Fulfillment, and the author of Something to Think About, Extraordinary Reflections About Extraordinary Events. And Solomon Says, all published by Archbill. He's the co-producer co of the highly acclaimed Kiev Films, Inspired, and Inspired 2, Kiev Across America. He's also the creator and director of Iprod, Hidden Yidden, The Shake, and several other inspirational films. He writes a weekly column, Out of the Box, and timely issues from the, Fabulous, from the FJJ. I guess that's why Mr. Morty's here. Rabbi Solomon's video blog, Solomon Says, or H.com, was seen weekly for 10 years by hundreds of thousands of people across the world. His, speak his speaking, writing, and musical talents have delighted audiences from Harvard to Broadway and everything in between. He lives in Jackson, New Jersey, surrounded by his loving family. Rabbi Yaakov Solomon, the floor is yours. Wow. Wow, I sound great. Good evening, everybody. That's, uh, that's very impressive. I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. Uh, should have prepared, right? <laughs> I, I, first, you know, I have to, I think, I, I, I don't always tune in every Sunday night, but I, uh, I, I think I should. Uh, sometimes I watch it afterwards, the next day or the day after, but uh, you guys, Rabbasher and Rabbanachem, uh, as we say, you've created a monster. So uh, you created a monster 31 weeks ago, and uh, look what happened. So, you know, I... I often say the entire apostle to new like him. How do you give strength to Hashem? To new like him, 
How do you do that? So I say that the way you do it is you create a keli. You create a kli, and then the kashbaku wants to give you bracha. But if you don't create the kli, there's no place to put it. So you created the kli, and I think he just dropped it in. So you have tremendous wisdom. You should go weiter and weiter. Uh, what's the draw of this of this platform? That's a big word today. Platform. What's the draw of this platform? I think the fact is not only not the speakers necessarily. I don't care what the bio says, but I think the fact that uh, it's live. There's something about it being live that people say, "Wow, you know what's happening right now." You know, maybe Solomon will say something stupid because it's live and you know, we'll catch him in a, in a ridiculous thing or something like that. Something about being live is very, very attractive. So uh, I, I don't change that part of it, okay? Don't tape it before in advance, whatever you do. Um, uh, you gave me a few minutes for opening I, before we open the question. So I had some thoughts about how to open tonight. Uh, I want to begin by uh, telling you a story that many of you have heard, uh, could be they've heard from me in the, in the past. It's one of my favorite uh, personal stories. And, uh, and it has particular relevance to what we're talking about this evening. Many years ago, when I began my career in mental health field, I befriended a psychiatrist. And uh, this psychiatrist told me one day something really fascinating. He said to me, quote, I remember my first day on the job. You know, every professional has a first day on the job. Every Rebbe has a first day. Every accountant has a first day. Every Moyle has a first day. I don't want to be in the room then. But uh, even, you know, even a psychiatrist, he has a day one on the job. This is what happened to him on his first day on the job. Ready? He goes to the hospital. He's working in a, in a mental hospital. And he's going on rounds. They go rounds. They meet all the patients. And there's a team of psychiatrists that join together with him. He walks in a, into a particular room and he walks in and they introduce him to the patient. They say, Dr. O'Connor, this is Mr. O'Toole. He says, oh, how do you do Mr. O'Toole? And they talk for a few seconds. And then Dr. O'Connor turns to the doctors and say, uh, why is Mr. O'Toole in the mental hospital? So they say, well, he's here because Mr. O'Toole believes that he is a zombie. Said, oh, okay. So I said, remember, it's my first day on the job. So I turned to Mr. O'Toole there in the room in front of everybody, and I say to Mr. O'Toole, tell me, why do you think you're a zombie? So he looks at me and he goes, well, it's, it's quite obvious that I'm a zombie because zombies do not bleed. So I'm thinking to myself, he says to me, I'm thinking to myself, it's my first day on the job, I'm going to cure somebody on my first day on the job from the mental hospital. This is the easiest job in the world. So I run back to the nurse's station and I get a little needle and I come back into the room and I say, Mr. Poole, give me, give me your finger, please. So I get the finger and I take his finger and I give a little prick in his finger like that and the blood starts coming out. So I show Mr. O'Toole his finger and I said, Mr. O'Toole, take a look. What do you think of that? So Mr. O'Toole looks at it and he says, my God, he said, I was wrong. Zombies do bleed. Uh, now, I can't hear you because they muted you, but they shouldn't. Actually, you should have opened up because everybody laughs at that. And, and, and it's a true story. It's a true story. The guy says, you know, zombies do bleed. Now, why are we laughing at that story? 
we laugh at that story because it's really funny. What's so funny about it? What's funny about it is that we expect him to say, I was wrong, I'm not a zombie. But that's not what he says. He says, I was wrong, zombies do bleed. In other words, this guy O'Toole, he has a problem with the facts. You see, if he understood the facts, he would say, look at Zane and say, well, I guess I'm not a zombie, but I just told you that, that would be logical. But he doesn't work that way because the mind of a schizophrenic is a little bit different than most people. You know, I think that what's going on today, frankly, is that could be, if you don't mind my saying, since you're muted anyway, I think we're all zombies. I know, I see you shaking your head. I think we're all zombies. And if you weren't a zombie like a year ago or six months ago, you're definitely a zombie now. Because by now, we're all, because we don't know the facts anymore. There are no facts anymore. We used to live in a world of facts. We used to live in a world of reality. We used to live in a world where we could understand things, we could trust things. There's, there's such a thing as, as, as probability or science. There's nothing anymore. There's nothing anymore. The Rebundish Loan has taken this world, give it a little shake, a big shake, flipped it upside down, and this is what we're at. So now we're a bunch of zombies. We're all together. No matter what it is, the facts simply don't matter anymore. We, we're faced with these all, the, the threats of lockdown. What a word, by the way, lockdown. Oh, such a positive expression, you know? We don't have a lockdown. I think what has happened really is that our brains are on lockdown. Uh, we, have, we have locked down our brains. And why has this happened? Simply because we are faced with an unusual problem. Now, I'm not a young guy. I grew up to every generation has had their problems and every generation said, oh, it's never been like this before. And you know what, well, we were right because it never was like this before. But when we say like now, it never was like this before, we need something completely different. The experience of what we're going through now is the, 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 the mystery, the confusion of the unknown. We have been thrust into a planet where suddenly we know nothing. We know nothing. I jotted down a few questions, a few questions that we all have, I think, or some of you, have all the questions, and all of you have some of the questions. I'm gonna just knock off some of these questions because these are the things that are rattling in my head and in the people that I see rattling in their heads, and this is what we're up to. And you tell me if you don't relate to some of these, ready? Is the news fake or real? Does anyone know? Who should we trust? Who should we believe? Do masks work? Does social distancing matter? Will New York City ever recover? Who actually voted for Cuomo and why? Who will be the president in January? Should schools be open? Should I go to Hasanas? Should I daven inside or outside? Why did Hashem send the pandemic? How do I become a better person? When is Mashiach really coming? Did my vote count? Were the Dominion machines really made in Venezuela? When can I go to Eretz Yisrael? Are quarantines really necessary? Does hydroxychloroquine really work? Are the rapid COVID tests accurate? How long do antibodies last? Are the vaccines safe? Should I take it? 
Must I worry every time I sneeze? Will my child recover from not going to school for six months? Will my bank account ever recover? When? Should I hoard paper towels? Does Dr. Fauci know anything? Does anybody know anything? Should I buy stock in Pfizer, in Zoom? What happened to Fox News? Is there really more anti-Semitism now more than ever? How did Giuliani really get COVID-19? Is Hunter Biden really a criminal? Now you tell me, I don't believe that there's anybody, what do we have like 400 people on participating already? I don't believe there's anybody that can't relate to some or maybe most of these questions. What in blazes is going on? How is it, people say anxiety is the, is the rage of the generation. My question is not why, my question is, how could anybody not be anxious? We have been thrust into a place where we know nothing. You can't feel more helpless than when you know nothing. You can't trust anything. You don't know what's real. You don't know what can be trusted, nothing. And those of you who were not anxious before, well, after I read those questions, you're probably anxious now. So at least I picked up a few uh, appointments for tomorrow. At any rate, you gotta wonder, first of all, you have to have a sense of humor or else you'll, you'll just fall apart. But besides that, how do we deal with all this? How do we deal with all this anxiety? Anxiety that I believe we have, we have never faced before. So Rabbi Menachem correctly said before, there are a couple of things and I wanna do, tell you just a couple of ideas about how to, you treat yourself, so to speak, so you don't have to make appointments and you don't have to go on medication and things like that, which are you know, not the best ways to do it. You can do things at home. You can do things that you could try on your own that will make you at least feel a little bit more relief. And then I wanna talk about one in particular. So Menachem mentioned certainly about exercise, which is really important, of course, I'm talking to myself, talking about exercise that people just somehow can't get to do enough of, but they do actually have a chemical, make, make a chemical difference, leave, relieving the stress hormones in your body. It makes a big difference if you can, even a few minutes a day makes a big difference. There's one uh, method of dealing with anxiety that nobody wants to hear, and that is less caffeine. Ooh, ooh, oh boy, I, I touched a very, you know, a very sore topic there. Less caffeine will actually help you. Another idea is writing. I do a lot of writing and it's very helpful for people to write down their fears. When you write them down, you have a sense that you're a little bit in control of it. So it helps a little bit if you can keep a little notepad and write down the things that you are uh, concerned about, worried about, afraid of, etc. cetera. Uh, speaking with family, very, very important. Turning off the news, I spoke about that five months ago. That is major, that is major. There's nothing on the news that's, that, that's good, nothing that's gonna make you happy. You're not gonna hear a, a, a concise or a social cilantro on the news. Make sure that, that you, you taper it down just a little bit. Deep breathing is really very helpful. If it gets very, very anxious, deep breathing. And by the way, most people do not know how to breathe. And I don't want to spend time doing it now, but breathing should be done through the nose. 
That's why Kodesh Baruch Hu gave you a nose. By the way, you know those little hairs you have in your nose? You don't have to show me. But you know those little hairs you have in your nose? Usher, you have them? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, you have them. HaKadosh Baruch Hu put them there because it's a filtration system. Those hairs are there to filter out all, all the uh, impurities in the air. So you should breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. Deep breathing can help you relax a little bit. Talking about your fears is the best thing you could do. Don't keep them inside. You don't need a therapist for that. You could talk to your friends. You won't have any friends anymore, but don't worry about it. You'll pick up new ones. You talk to your neighbors. You talk to Menachem. You could just talk about your fears. Very important. But the two main things that we have to get to in speaking about how to handle your anxiety are pretty obvious, but are most important. And for that, I put on my uh, rabbinic hat. And the first, of course, is bitachin. And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk more about bitachin later. But people ask me that all the time, and I believe that that's number one, that the most potent. Uh, uh, ammunition that we have in our arsenal is bitachin. To be able to say, put your troubles into Rabbanish Leilam's hands. Have bitachin because he's the one who got you here in the first place. You have to work on your bitachin. You have to work on it. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come automatic. It doesn't come by just sitting and saying the animamans. That's very nice. Even after every day you say the animamans is a beautiful thing, but it's not going to just happen. You have to learn. You have to. There are many, many svarim today, English and not in English, that speak about bitachin. It's a very, very popular topic today. I'm not here to to push any particular one of them. Get a book, read it. My wife and I, I'll tell you, I'll confess to you frankly. My wife and I, every night, learn a uh, in this in a safer uh, called Faith Over Fear. Every night we spend a few minutes on it, and it sinks in. It sinks in after a while. You start getting the message that you really can believe and have to be talking. Very important. And the last thing I want to mention before I turn it back is, of course, tefillah. And I know people talk about tefillah all the time. I want to give you a refreshing thought, an original thought about tefillah from Abnoach Weinberg, Zechert Tzadik Levracha, who was a master at tefillah, a master at bitachim, a master teacher, and he gave a very original, logical, reasonable approach that I believe can transform your davening. I know you've heard it all before. You've heard it all before. Yeah, yeah, sure, I know that. But this is very different. If you haven't heard it before, if you have, it's Kedai Techazret, and if you have not heard it before, you'll see how simple and how logical it really is and how to approach Rav Noach said that the secret, the real secret to an effective tefillah, everybody wants their tefillahs to be answered, and not just answered no, but answered yes. Everybody wants that. So Rav Noach said the secret lies in a pasuk from 3,000 years ago that David HaMelech wrote, and we say it three times every day, and we don't even realize what we're saying. The Pasuk is very, very common. We all know it very well. Pasuk in Ashrei. Hashem is close to everyone who calls out to him. He's close to all of you. But there is one stipulation. 
Say it together. Be'emes. Be'emes. Now, what does that mean, be'emes? Emes, of course, means truth. But we, you're davening, you're not telling lies. What, what, what does that mean, truth? So Merch says that you have to call out to him in a real way. To be real with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. The word relationship comes from the word real. This program is called real. That's what it's all about. Getting real. And you get real with a Kaddish Baruch Hu and he feels close to you. Now, how do you do that? How do you get real with a Kaddish Baruch Hu? So this is the one example that he gives. There are many parts to it. But just because of time, I'm just give this one example. The one example of what it means to get close to Akadosh Baruch Hu in a real way. It says, who is this Akadosh Baruch Hu that we are davening to? Who is he? Well, of course, we say, Shem is one. What does one mean? One doesn't just mean one, not two. We know that. But one means Akadosh Baruch Hu is one and in his perfection. Akadosh Baruch Hu is everything. What does that mean that Akash Baruch Hu already is everything? Because there are two components that we need in order to be sure that we're davening to the right creator. What are those two components? Akash Baruch Hu is capable, capable of giving you anything you want. He has the Yechaylas. He can do it. It is within his power. He can give you anything, number one. And number two, he wants to give you everything. It's not only that you want it. You want a shiva. You want you have good health. You want nachas from your kids. You want some parnosa. You want some simcha sachayim. Akash Baruch wants that also for you. He's able to give it to you, and he wants to give it to you. It is the perfect combination. It is what we call Avinu Malkeinu. Avinu, our father means he wants to give you everything. And Malkenu, our king, he can give you everything. You hear that? It's a simple concept. Avina Malkenu can give you everything, wants to give you everything. That's who he is. Now, what does this mean to be real with Hashem? Listen to this, Marshall, this simple story. And I think if you hear it, and if you've never heard it before, you'll never forget it. Because it's so simple. He says something that is astounding. He says something that is astounding. He says that contrary to popular belief, when we daven, no matter what it is that we're davening for, no matter how big or how small it may seem to be, ready? We should expect that we're going to get it. This is called being real. How do you know that that's true? Don't most people approach davening very differently? Don't we say like, you really don't deserve it, but if you can, maybe when you have, you're not looking, when you're not so busy, you can give us a little money, give us a little nachas, if you want, like almost, almost begging, but we really don't really think it's gonna happen. Abner says, that's not real. Being real means that you expect that he's avinu malkeinu. He can and he will. And he wants to, and he will deliver. What you want, he will deliver. How do you know that that's real? It's very simple. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim. 
We are We are his children, right? So let's imagine very simply that one day a son calls up his father and he says, he says, dad, you know, if you don't mind, I'd like to have a little talk with you. He says, sure, go ahead. What do you want to talk about? I said, no, 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 no. I want to talk in person. He said, oh, you want to talk in person? I said, okay, okay. So well, maybe we could talk tomorrow. I said, okay, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow's good, tomorrow's good. But tell me, what would you like to talk about? He said, no, 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 I don't want to talk on the phone. Uh, uh, Dad, I, 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 I'll see you tomorrow. We'll talk. To, yeah, can't you give me a little hint? Like, what, what is it that you want? I'll prepare a little bit. What, what do you want to talk about? He said, no, no, I don't want to tell you. He said, ah, it's money, right? Yeah. Of course, you don't want to talk about it. It's money. You want to talk about money. Okay, listen, come tomorrow in my office, nine o'clock in the morning, and we'll have an official appointment. Okay, you know, and then we'll talk. Fine. He hangs up the phone. The kid can't sleep all night. He's so worried. He's so anxious. This man. He comes the next day. He has a cup of coffee in one hand. He has another cup of coffee. He's got two coffees. He's, he's shaking like a leaf. He comes into his, his father's office. He knocks knocking on the door. He said, you know, and he's spilling coffee all over the carpet. His father walks in. He's switching. He's draining. He's, 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 he's completely fucked He walks in and says, oh, and his father looks at him. He says, look, look at you. What happened to you? He says, come in. He he kind of brings him to a chair, sits him down. He's all nervous. He says, tell me what's wrong. What happened? What is it? He says, Dad, he said, look, he says, ah, I, I need something from you. He says, okay, okay, tell me. What is it that you need? I'm here for you. I'm your father. What is it that you need? He said, well, I, I don't really I don't really know how to ask you. Don't, don't give me the whole runaround. I see you're a wreck. Just tell me, what do you want? Well, you see, Dad... I need a loan. Uh, you see, I told you it was money. I told you, it's money. It's money, of course, money. I got it. Okay, how much do you need? Okay, okay, you got into trouble? Okay, how much do you need? So again, the kid starts draining. Well, I'm you know, I'm not really sure. I, I, I worked it up all night. I was trying to figure out exactly. Okay, just skip it, okay? Just tell me, how much do you need? And the boy says, look, Dad, the truth is, I need a nickel. You what? He said, I, I need a nickel. You're joking. You, you, need, you need a nickel? What, what, what are you talking about? Father goes to the phone. He's, he's dialing Atzala already. Now let's take the kid away. You know, bring him to the zombie hospital. What, 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 what's going on here? He says, what are you talking about? You need a nickel? He says, Dad, it's only a loan. I told you. Oh, boy, he's really lost it. He, he wants a nickel, and it's a loan. You know? He said, what, what are you talking about? Is this crazy? Or is this a, a ridiculous story? Crazy story. Now, is there any question that the father would give him a nickel? This is not even a discussion, right? A stranger gives nickels, quarters, dollars. Well, what's he doing? What is this story about? You see, when a boy comes to his father and he asks for a nickel, it's not a real request. You know what it is? It's an insult. Come to your father, you have a whole meeting, you come in, you're shaking, you're spilling coffee on the carpet, and that's what you want, a nickel. And yet, 
believe it or not, think of it. Isn't that what we do? Because no matter what it is that you're asking for, and we're talking about really important things, not nickels. We're talking about really important things. We want health. We don't want to be afraid anymore. We want answers. We want Mashiach. We, 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 want, we want Parnosa. We want Nachas. We want all the kids to be good. But we want, we want time to learn. We want Kishroinus. We want everybody, everything to be working. There are so many important things in our lives. But the truth is, Rabbi Sai, the truth is, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know what they are? Say it. Nickels. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's just nickels. It doesn't matter if it's the Himalayan mountains or the Mediterranean Sea or your DNA or your kidneys or the Gulf of Mexico. It doesn't matter what it is. Kadosh Baruch Hu doesn't expend more effort creating Mount Everest than he does giving you the Kishrin to make a spoon. It's the same thing to him. And how many nickels does a Kadosh Baruch Hu have? An infinite amount of nickels. He has everything. The fact is, is that whatever it is that you're asking for, he has already given you more than that to begin with. He gave you your, your, your sight and, and your brains and, and your family and your home and your clothing and, and everything that he's given you has already given you so much. So whatever it is that we're asking for, as important as it is, Kaddish Baruch Hu, it's nickels. That's the truth. And just like you wouldn't walk into your father and ask him for a nickel, and say it's alone. We have to walk into a Kodesh Baruch Hu, to our tefillahs, not demand, but expect that a Kodesh Baruch Hu can and will give us those nickels. When we do that, then it's the Cholasher Yikruvnes. That's real. That's a relationship. If we don't do that, it's not a relationship. It's an insult. If we, we, we don't have to worry about whether we deserve it or not. That's not what tefillah is about. Everything's a matnas chinam. Whatever a Baruch who gives it to us, he gives us because he loves us and he wants to us. He's our father in heaven. When you talk to your father, that's how you speak. So this idea, if you can incorporate it into your tefillahs, will help big time in terms of your anxiety. My request in the name of Rav Noach Weinberg. So we put a little piece of this into our davening, just a little piece of this and say, Tata and Himmel, we're really talking to you. We're really talking to our father. And we're really asking him for all those things that we think are so big and so difficult. But for him, it's a snap. It's just nickels. And by the way, when your father gives you a nickel, he's a nickel poorer. When a Kodesh Baruch gives you a nickel, he just makes more nickels. He's not poorer. He's able to do it. And if we believe it, and we believe it, and we show that we believe it, and we expect that he will answer our tefillahs, if we do that, that's a different tefillah. That's a relationship. That's real. And on top of all of that, it'll just about cure your anxiety and put Yaakov Solomon out of business. Now, how's that? Huh? Yeah, it's, it's clapping already. 
That's the idea. This is a this is a revolutionary approach, if you will, that I decided to share with you. If you've heard it before, my apologies, but it's good to chazar it over. The truth is, I need that chazara too. Because when we're davening and the men know at breakneck speed in some shul where it's uh, flying, it's very hard to concentrate and remember that we're really speaking to our father and that he can and he's avinu malkeinu and he can and he wants to. When you do all that together then you've developed a relationship and that is the goal. And with that, we should all be able to conquer all of our fears, reduce all of our anxieties throughout the election and throughout the corona, it should go away, and through all the vaccine questions and everything we have, we should get clarity and yishabadas. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Solomon. Whoa. I, I think you answered all the questions. Can we have any questions after that? <laughs> just tell everybody have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, let's get into it. We're gonna take. We're gonna give you a little break. We're gonna do a little poll just to get everybody into it, like we always do. And then we're gonna have. A, we got a lot of questions. You know, uh, tons of emails. And again, Rabbi Salman asked for everybody to please make it interactive. Everybody should please turn on your camera. Feel free to ask a question. We're here tonight. We have him. Let's hop around. So let's take a poll question, just to get a feeling from everybody. Oh, it's not working. Somebody else logged in. Oh, here we go. Okay, everybody sees the screen. It says over here, in what area of your life is the most stressful for you currently? It's one of five choices. Either A, financial, B, shalom bias, C, children, D, spirituality, or E, unknown future. You're worried about the future. So again, the first question is about what's the most stressful area for you right now currently in your life? The second question is a follow-up question. Who do you discuss your stressors, concerns with? I don't. I keep it to myself. That sounds healthy, right? No, I am. <laughs> my spouse, a close friend, a therapist, or my rov. So again, I'll repeat the questions. Everybody, please, please answer them. It's anonymous. We don't know who's saying what, just to get a feeling. When what area of your life is the most stressful for you? Financial, shalom bias, children, spirituality, unknown future. Second question is, who do you discuss your stressors or concerns with? I don't. I keep it to myself, my spouse, close friend, therapist, my rov. Five seconds. You could see the answer, by the way, nobody can see it yet. So, uh, oh, my, 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 pretty surprising. Yeah, actually, pretty surprising. It is pretty surprising. I would the not, one is surprising. I was, yeah, I would not have guessed this. Okay, here we go. You ready? I'm going to share with everybody. Check this out. Okay, what area of your life, what area of your life is most stressful for you? 21% of the people say financial, 14% say shalom bias, whopping 28% of people say children. 9% spirituality and 28% is the unknown future. They're worried about the future. It's interesting. This is the unknown future and the children are basically the same. Right, right. Okay, the second question is, who do you discuss your stresses and concerns with? 27% of people said, I don't, I keep it to myself. 39% said my spouse. Pretty impressive. I think that's, that's the right answer. Right, uh, there are a few, whatever works, you know. 90% say a close friend, 30% say a therapist, and 3% say they're rough. Okay, interesting. Okay, let's go. Let's get into a few questions that we got emailed. Me and went through some of them. I would think it's good. But again, anybody wants to ask a question, please text me. We can put you on live. Live goes first. If you want to just text a question, text it to me. And um, again, Rabbi Salam wants it to be interactive. Please turn on your cameras. Let's 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 get the most out of him. I'll start with the first question. Okay, Rabbi Salam, you ready? I'm ready. My husband and I are married for 18 years, and we Baruch Hashem have five beautiful children. The last two to three years have been especially difficult as we face some serious Parnosa issues and a serious illness in the family. 
but more than any other stresses is the path that our oldest son seems to have chosen. So again, they have financial issues, they have health issues, but the biggest problem is that they're, they're, their son, he's in 10th grade and he has no interest in learning whatsoever. His role models are volunteers of Haverim. His role models are volunteers of Haverim and his friends just hang out, do nothing. He can't get up in the morning, even if I wake him up nine or 10 times, his siblings see how upset we are and resent him for it. I think we are losing it and losing him. Any adrach you could offer would be greatly appreciated. My, 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 my. Well, my heart goes out to you. Uh, I don't think it's that unusual. This person is writing, uh, it's things that I hear a lot of. Uh, families having trouble with their, as they say, 10th grader, it said. 10th grader. Uh, I have a few thoughts about it. Um, number one, I remember going to a, a talk from uh, Jonathan Rietti, a wonderful, wonderful speaker and big mechanic. He said an interesting thing. He said, the word gomel, gomel chasadim toivim, gomel means to give. At the same time, the, uh, the Torah tells us that Avram Avinu made a mishpah he made a party on the day and the day that Sarah stopped nursing Yitzchak. She weaned Yitzchak and he made a party. Now look at that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a vast uh, uh, amount of words to choose from. He takes the same word, Gomel, and the Gomel means two things and they're the opposite. Gomel means to give and go means to wean, to stop giving. Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu use the same word to give and to stop giving? Great question, right? Great question. Listen to this incredible answer he gave. The answer that he gave was, he said, sometimes the greatest gift that a parent can give their child is when they stop giving. Now, I, I hear my phone's ringing already and my kids are calling me up and they wanna know why I cut them off and they're not getting the checks, etc. I'm not telling you to stop giving to your children. That's not what I mean, okay? However, fascinating answer. Sometimes we give and give, but really what we need to do is to pull back and to stop giving. Now, I'm not saying that these parents in particular are hovering over their children, their helicopter parents, as we call them, but it might be so. And sometimes a child needs a little space, especially a 10th grader. And when you give that space, when you stop giving so much, and you just let it go and let them go, you're giving them the greatest gift possible. That's go mail, that's a gift. It's very hard for parents to do that. But if they were sitting in my office, the first thing I would tell them is, stop waking him up nine or 10 times in the morning. A lot of parents have the same problem with their kids and it's very difficult, very hard to stop. But I tell parents all the time, do not wake them up. Well, if I don't wake them up, they're not gonna get up. Well, guess what? They're not getting up anyway. And even if they do, they're not growing. And it's in 10th grade, they need to get up on their own. now. If they ask you the night before and they say, please make me, wake me, you say your answer is, I will wake you once, one time, but I'm not spending my entire morning, morning waking you up. 
So they have to stop that. They have to make him more independent. Making him more independent will give him a chance to spread his wings in a way that he can develop. And that's what he wants and that's what he's asking for. And number two, I want to tell you, I remember when I was in yeshiva, there was a kid in high school and that kid in high school, I remember was not learning a word. And this went on in ninth grade and 10th grade, total waste. And in 11th grade, towards the middle or the end of the year, he was in a shear with a Rebbe. In those days, a lot of the Rebbeim were Holocaust survivors. And he was in a shear with a girl. And one day, the kid, this kid, felt bad for the Rebbe because nobody was listening to him. He was an old man and he was, uh, he was difficult and he, he had a lot of difficulties on his own. And one day the kid felt bad for his Rebbe and he said to his Chavrusa, you know what? We should start learning just to do him a favor. And the reason that I know this story, as you can guess, is the kid was me. And I said to my Chavrusa, let's learn because I feel so bad for him. And that's when I started learning. And then I found out later that a lot of kids start learning in 11th grade and even 12th grade. But a kid who's not learning in 10th grade, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it at all. And by the way, he, he has role models in Chaveirim. I love it. Those are great people. Then they get all my, my adulation in the world and all my praise and let them use them as role models because they're doing great things. And never criticize your son for that. So let him, let him spread his wings. Don't wake him up in the morning and don't worry about the fact that he's not learning. Plenty of time for him to grow. Thank you, Rabbi Salman. We're getting a lot of live questions and a lot of questions to learn, so let's pick up the pace a little bit. Um, okay, you're on live. Hi, uh, Rabbi Salman. I wanted to thank you for um, <clears throat> what you mentioned about with the, you know, how to, how to ask Hashem for what we need. Um, can you just expand a little bit, like, um, it really, it, it's exactly what I needed to hear. I, I always feel the sense of, like, I'm asking for a nickel, and I, who am I to ask for it? But how do we, like, strike a balance and not come across as though we're entitled? Like, okay, Hashem, I know you have it, so let's go, give it to me. How, how do we find that middle ground? Like, what should we have in mind so that we're not coming across in an insulting way, like a schnur, but at the same time not coming across, like, you know, let's go. Why aren't you giving this to me, Hashem? How, how do we, what, what should we have in mind? That's a good question. Uh, I, I like the question. First of all, I don't know you, but I, I'd be very shocked if you come across that way in your tefillah. You don't sound like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run into that problem. That's just, that's just my guess. I know I'm making a little quick assessment over there, but I don't think that you're going to be demanding or flip or cavalier about the whole, the whole uh, situation at all. Um, and number two, is when you speak to your parents, um, I would hope that we don't speak that way to our parents. And if we picture it and just picture that we're speaking to our parents, mother or to a father, and you speak in a real way and it comes out of genuine need. And it's not something that you're asking that is outlandish. You're not asking for a palace and you're not asking to win the lottery because of, you're asking me something that is reasonable, then th th there's no reason why you can uh, 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 speak in a way that, that just says, um, you're my father, you're my parent, I'm your child, 
nobody knows what I need better than you do. You know what I really need. So I'm hoping that you will give it to me, not because I deserve it or I don't deserve it. Moshe Rabbeinu himself, his biggest request to go and parents Israel, he had a lot of schusim. He could have said, look what I've done for the Jewish people. He had a resume this long, and he could have demanded from our church barber. He could have said, look what I did already. How about a little payback? Mida can I get Mida? No. He asked only for a matana. A matnas And that's what we do. It's just coming out of love. And when you do that, I think it, it comes off very real. Thank you. What do we do with people that are concerned, they're not sure if they deserve, I don't know if they deserve it, or how do I know if it's good for me? A lot of people are scared. I'm asking for something, but you, Hashem, know if it's good for me or not. So you're saying I should expect it, but I'm not sure if it's good for me. It's a very good point because if it's something that's not good for you, Kodesh Baruch is not getting involved. He's not getting involved in something that's not good for you. No, oh, please let, let me... Uh, uh, let me get on that plane to Las Vegas so that I could, uh, you know, spend the night in the, in the casino. And, and I don't think that's a, a reasonable feeling. There's a very small chance of getting that one answered. But uh, most people, I think, know whether something that, that they're asking for is going to be good for them. By the way, since you brought it up, I just wanted it's a good point. It's important that we don't take anything for granted. In other words, when you ask for health, you shouldn't just say, uh, uh, cure me, cure my mother, cure my sister, make her healthy. You shouldn't just do that. Say, I want to be healthy. Well, what are you going to do if you're healthy? Well, I want to use it for the right reason. Well, I'm not going to waste time. I'm going to actually use my good health for, for some kind of a way to session. If, if, if you're looking for money, is great. You want to raise, great. But what are you going to do with it? So you have to plan what you want to do with that money. Anything that you have, even if it seems obviously fine, you still need to say, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to use it with Shem Shemayim. If you're not doing that with Shem Shemayim, then the Kodesh Baruch is unlikely to, uh, to respond. That's what I think. Hey, Rabbi Salman, I want to jump on a question over here. It's very, yeah. Somebody sent it in. We have a few live questions pending, but I think it's a very broad question, and I think it really hits a lot of points here. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts that I keep on ruminating, thinking over and over in my head, always worst case scenario. It makes me feel completely depressed and totally frozen, like a deer in headlights. How can I talk to myself back to a more centered and calm place so I can enjoy all the good that Hashem currently gave me instead of focusing and being nervous about the negative? I think she's talking about uh, something that would probably fall into the uh, category of obsessive thinking. And uh, obsessive thinking is a little bit different than your everyday common anxiety, but a lot of people have it. When you have obsessive thoughts, and it doesn't mean that you have what we call very popular OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, you may not, but you may have no rituals, no compulsions, just obsessive thinking. Obsessive thinking, I believe, and I've had more more, uh, success with it, treating it in this way, Obsessive thinking cannot be set aside and tossed away just by pushing hard. When you push hard on obsessive thoughts, they push back. 
it's a little bit like quicksand. And the more you say to yourself, I'm not gonna think of it, I'm not gonna think of it, I'm gonna drive it away, get out of my head, get out of my head. The more you do that, the more it comes back. You're actually feeding it, you're fueling it, you're giving it power. Now we have a tug of war going. You don't want it. And if I have an arm wrestle with you, Menachem, you're right next to me on my screen. So I can also picture that we can have an arm wrestle. If you stick out your hand a little bit, yeah. And you see, if I let you win, if I let you win, you're not going to get much from it. If I put up a struggle, oh, you'll fight back. You'll fight back hard. And that's what happens in our brains. We fight back. That's our instinctive response. The best way I can tell this woman to work on her obsessions, believe it or not, is to let them come. Let them come in. Drop your armor, drop your hands, drop your arms and just say, I am helpless. Come in. You want to move in? You want to establish residence in my brain? I got just the spot for you. Come on. Here we go. You not only allow it to come in, believe it or not, you invite it to come in. And the reason that inviting it to come in is even better is because now you're really controlling it. Because you invited those thoughts in. When you invite the thoughts in, you could one day toss them out. Because you invited them. They're your guest. So the way you gain control over them is not by pushing them away. A lot of people try to distract their minds. Distraction is great. If it works, call it a vote. It's marvelous. But people with real obsessions, distraction doesn't work. They just can't distract themselves. And this woman sounds like she can't distract herself. I would say to her, surrender. It's a word that everybody hates. Oh, surrender, that's the last thing I wanna do, surrender. No, that's what I would tell her, surrender. Give up the fight. When you give up the fight, you'll see you're gonna take the edge off and they're gonna to start to calm down. Thank you, Rabbi Solomon. I think it's a man, by the way. Oh, I forget it. Well, <laughs> strike everything. I think it works, by the way. Also, the, men, the men try to go to learn and work. If distraction works, it's fine. The problem it's is fine. that when, when they go to sleep, they have a hard time. It's fine. If the distraction is, is great, I mean, that's- But then it but, comes back. But if it's a real obsession, distraction doesn't work. And that's what I'm that's what I'm guessing over here. But this is this is more than that. What's, what's the rules of Mishpach? Is Mishpach allowed to ask questions or no? Mishpach, no. No, okay. No. Go. Except for Ellie. <laughs> that's a conspiracy over here. <laughs> don't, don't say that word. Okay. So uh we've spoken a similar thing in the past, but but now it's it's much tougher in a way because I I sit here I sit here in my office during working hours, and most of the time I work alone. And you work alone, it's very easy to get distracted. And and especially now, what's happened with the with the elections it was so shocking to see all the corruption and all, all these things. And it, not going into all the details, but the point is, it's not, it just like sitsiridet, you know. And like it's very difficult not to, to want to know what, what what's what's happening and uh, you know and you know to, to to hear the latest what Giuliani is saying and uh, you know Kahena, Kahena, and uh, yeah and uh, and I know that uh, I've, I've learned as far as say that you know 
that during war you shouldn't listen to the radios because uh, it gives koyach to tzitrachin and because he gets brachin and it gives koyach to tzitrachin. I, I, I know that, and then I, then I give in. I beat myself up. Why did I give in for? And uh, I know I should know better than that. And, and why am I doing this? And like, so is there, is there like a, a way to set a, a time, like a few minutes a day, just to, to, to see what's happening? Or, 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 or do you think it's or, or like, or it, what, what's the best mahalach? Okay, it sounds like Ellie is asking um, how to handle situation when things are, uh, uh, you can't resist wasting time on things that uh, you have no control over. And, uh, and, and it just make you more upset anyway. And we have this, you know, so many ways at so many different times, how to get it out of our lives and what's the best way to do it. Uh, there's no magical way. I like to say that uh, in recent times, maybe you'll appreciate this, Ellie, but politics has replaced sports. Uh, sports uh, is pretty obsess obsessive. And for many Americans anyway, they're totally, even Israelis, by the way, they're obsessed with sports. And people found out during this corona that, you know, sports is not that important. They stop sports a little bit, there's no, no fans. And you know what, people are living, it's, it's shocking. One of the reasons that people are coping so well is because they have a replacement. And the replacement is politics. And politics is like sports. It became two sides. You're rooting for one side, you hate the other side. And before you know it, you're, you're locked in and you're watching. It's the same thing as, as, as baseball or football. It's almost the same idea. And, uh, and and as you know, it's not easy to do it. It's almost addictive. And this politics stuff is addictive. And I get, find myself get, getting caught up also. There are two basic things with any addiction. Some people are able to wean themselves off slowly. And some people need to go cold turkey. Uh, I say try the first one first. Try to limit yourself. Keep a log of how much time you're spending and try to cut it down every day by a little bit. Be reasonable about it. and But make it a project. Make it gradually keep keep notes on, I spent four hours a day today. I spent three hours a day today. With that, and tomorrow I'm going to knock it off by 10 minutes. And the next time I'm going to knock it off another five minutes. Or this week, I'm going to, my project is 20 minutes less this week. And wean yourself off almost like a drug. Uh, and, and that's, that can work for many people. Many people are able to do it. It's not so simple. And some people they'll find it's not working and you have to go cold turkey. Uh, I've done that myself. Uh, I did it once with medication and I almost jumped out the window. Not, it's not a, <laughs> not a good idea, but, um, but if you have no choice and you really want to get rid of it, then of course this is not a dangerous thing. You could try going cold turkey because it's, uh, the truth is that it's a waste of time, a big waste of time. And uh, I'm, I'm initial in it the way many people are. And, I, and I'm and i texting it to my friends and they're sending back to me, oh, did you see what what the, what the she said today? And, you know, Powell said this today and Giuliani said today. And before you know it, they, yeah, and we're going to take it down in Georgia and Georgia. I'm, I'm ready to move to Georgia, you know, just, just to, you know, let's see what's going on over there. Hey, look at Georgia, you know. There's people, my friends in Atlanta, the celebrities now. So I don't know what, you know, how else to tell you, but you have to work on it because the truth is it takes over, it brings anxiety, it and, it, and it is a waste of time. I'm going to give you a quote again from Noah Weinberg. Noah Weinberg said, killing time is suicide on the installment plan. How's that? 
Killing time is suicide on the installment plan. That man never wasted a minute. I'm not saying we're up to that. But we well, are. Here you can say, and this is important. You never know. It could be a second. You got to know. You got to know. Yeah, don't worry. We'll let you know. Because what happened now, it's not just playing politics. It never, it never happened before. Is that, I thought, That's, is true. That That's true. It never happened before. And uh, it's probably not, not happening now either. So <laughs> let's get real, Menachem, right? Yeah, the question is what he was able to do till now. I'm sorry? We think we, we, think we can do something. But there's yeah. nothing, nothing we can do. No. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, this is from a 35-year-old single young woman. My problem is decisions. I just can't make decisions. I've had several opportunities to marry, but I couldn't pull the trigger. I'm never sure of what to do. The world has gotten so crazy that I question every move I make, where to live, who to marry, who to vote for, mask, not the mask, the vaccine, not the vaccine. <laughs> Even small decisions drive me crazy, like buying clothes, makeup, where to go for Shabbos, Am I nuts or it's everyone going through this? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I reserve nuts for the eating kind. I, I, I don't use the word nuts for people. So I can't, I can't tell her if she's nuts. Uh, if she is, she's in very good company uh, because a lot of, a lot of us nuts are walking around and a lot of people are having difficulty making decisions. Uh, it's not that unusual. It sounds like it's a little chronic for her, though. Rav Noach, I'm going to quote him again, used to say, the truth is that the whole world is crazy. This is back then. The whole world is crazy. The only difference between the Yidden and the Goyim is that we know we're crazy. That's a big difference. Once you know it, it's a very big difference. But to answer her question more, it seems like I meet a lot of people who have a tremendous need, ready for this? They have a tremendous need to be absolutely sure about things. They can't decide things unless they know them. I, 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 can't, I, I don't, can't, can't decide what to buy because I don't really know if that dress is nice or not. And I don't really know where to go for Shabbos because maybe one... And how would I'd like to know which one? And and every decision suddenly becomes a test in how much do I know? That is a very dangerous neighborhood to live in, because you're going to find out. Even not in the days of Corona, you're going to find out that guess what, folks? We don't know a lot of things in this world, and we don't know almost anything that is really certain. We know there was a bunch of and we know that for certain, but most things in life, we don't even know at all. And this I'm talking about forever. Do we really know things? We have to get into a, a place, a comfortable place where, where we can toss things into that bin that says we don't know and it's okay that we don't know. We make decisions in this world based on probability. Everything we do, you know, we're making thousands of decisions a day. We don't even realize it. Every one of them is based on probability. We get in our cars, 
because they're probably safe. We cross the street because we're probably going to make it to, to the other side. And, and every little things that we do, it's always a question a little bit that we have. And then we think about it and say, probably, and then we do. And that's what she needs to do. She needs to get to this place where she can accept the fact that she's never going to know things. Not only Corona, not only during the election madness and the insanity that's going on now. And it's true, and as Ellie said before, it's true, it's different than it ever was. It is true, it is different, that's true. But in terms of real knowledge, even medical decisions, not doing something because we're afraid to do it is just as much of a decision as doing something. If we decide not to have a surgery because we don't know 100% that it's gonna work, that is as active a decision as having the surgery. And if the doctor tells you, look, you know, four out of five people, you know, get cured by this, or three out of five people get cured by this. But if you don't do it, even if you're, you know, you're gonna run the risk of who knows what's gonna happen, you feel very badly, or you'd like to you'd like to know 100 percent maybe 90%. Sometimes you only know 65%, but you still have to do it. Sometimes you only know 55%. But if it's important enough, you do it. You have to do it. Because not doing it is also a decision. On the smaller things, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. Like the clothing, makeup. But what would you say about uh, yeah. finding, uh, getting married? Yeah. Well, getting married is really no different in terms of, you know, the, how many people, you know, know that they're marrying the right person? I would say less and less. Less and less. Because you know why? Because we're so smart today. But that's scary. We are so, yeah, it is scary. It is so, we are so smart, you know. Oh, yeah, we have it all figured out, you know. So, but we don't, do we really know what we're doing, even in terms of getting married? You know more right, than somebody's texting me, how do you know when's the right time to get divorced? I'm sorry? Somebody's texting me, how do you know when's the right time to get divorced? That's a great question. Uh, that's a different question. Why don't, should, we, should we deal with that question? It's hard decisions. You can deal with it every once, yours. Okay, we can deal with that question too, but it's a, it's a really very different discussion. I can actually read, you know something, let's deal with this, we'll get to the divorce question afterwards. It's a, it's a more detailed question, we'll get to it afterwards. Look, in, in terms of getting married, you know, uh, you, you, the most important thing in, in, in that kind of decision is that everybody's got to have a, a priority list. You know, you've got to know what's important and what's not. And what's, what's important for you may not be important to me. That's true. But you getting married, you have to know what's really important. And if, if Midas is the most important thing to you, then you don't compromise on it. And uh, all of them doesn't come from the right family. And uh, he eats a little baba ganoush and he's a little uh, 30 pounds overweight, but he has fabulous meters. You know, that's the priority to you. If that's really the priority, for you, if family is very important for you, then you got to go with that. You've got to have that list, Either way, whether it's written down or in your mind. And a lot of people don't have that list. Rav Palm used to say, you know, the reason that there are so many divorces, and this is Rav Palm is you know, died a while ago already, but there were many divorces then. He says, the reason there's so many divorces is that people don't know what they want. Imagine, he said, you walk into a bus station 
And you walk up to the ticket counter and say, I'd like to buy a ticket. And the guy says, sure, where do you want to go? He says, I don't know, I just, I just want to buy a ticket. He says, well, you got to tell me where you want to go. He says, I have to tell you. I'm buying the ticket. You, you have the tickets. You, you, you tell me. What a bizarre situation. And yet, he said, that's what people do. That's how they're getting married. They want to buy a ticket. What? They want to get married. Where do you want to go? I have no idea. I want to go. I want to go to Lakewood. I want to go to Jackson. I want to go to Muncie. That's not where you want to go. What kind of home do you want? Have you really thought about it? What kind of, what kind of home do you want to build? What is right for you? You need somebody who's, who's intense that will light a fire in you. You need someone who's laid back, who's going to let you go a little bit and encourage you. You need somebody who's, who will instill values in your children. Know what you're doing. Don't walk into the, the bus station and, and ask for a ticket. And that's why people are getting divorced. I think there's a lot of truth to that. So uh, that's how you decide about getting married. Okay, Rabbi Solomon, let's, let's go into another live question. If we go back to the divorce, it's a little off topic, but we can go back to it if you want. Hi, sir. I'm you. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, you're good. good. I hope you can hear me. We hear you. Know, okay. I was always curious, you know, I at least somebody who grew up neglected and I spent a lot of time just wanting to invest in myself, so to speak. I realized I was deficient in certain areas. No, I don't mean it's, I'm just going to a yoga class. I, you know, I meant to try to grow in my, you know, professionally and certain things that just sort of making up for a... I don't want to say a lost youth, but uh, just a just a crummy one. And you know, then sometimes then I feel this guilt that I'm not doing enough to either bring the Shiach or be involved with people or or you know just you know worry about you know it's you know I, I guess to to get, uh, contribute more. Although I do I do actually give yeah I try to give sadak and I try to give do what I can, but uh, there's this always this feeling of seeing others that are you know out there achieving and. I, I wasn't on that, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't personally think I was on that level. I mean, or that ability where, like, where do you draw the line? I mean, you know, you need time, time to work on yourself versus like, are you ignoring, are you being, am I being totally selfish about ignoring others, and, you know, neglecting, overlooking what maybe might be more important? Um, I mean, you know, I don't know what, yeah, you know, I don't know what you would, you know, what you would consider a balance or. or, uh -huh. or... Well, one thing I can tell you is that I, I think we need a, a few more people like you that are thinking about what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. I think most people, as we started off saying, we're, we're zombies and our brains are fried and we're just basically uh, we're on lockdown in the brain. But you're not like that. At least you're thinking about what you should be doing. So color kavod. I think that's a. Uh, a wonderful thing that you're really considering it. However, 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 you mentioned guilt. Uh, you can take that too far. You can take that too far. See, guilt is a wonderful thing because it keeps us in line. You feel guilty about something, you do tshuva, you think about it, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But too much guilt is a terrible thing. The excess of anything is terrible, but guilt is one of those things. You have too much guilt. See, the, the Sutton is very brilliant. The Sutton comes, as we say it every night, the Husser Sutton Ufanenu Meacharenu. He comes to us before 
and says, don't do that mitzvah. And then he comes after Me'acharein who also, and say, oh, why did you do that? He doesn't let go of us. That Sutton is brilliant and, and just keeps gnawing at us. And I think that, Chaisara, you have like a, a, an overactive a guilt mechanism that, that, that keeps you wondering and, and pressuring yourself and you've got to let that go. It's good to wonder and think about what's right. You'll never reach that perfect balance that you're asking about, but ease up on yourself. You're way too hard on yourself. You're a good person. You're trying to do your best. There's, you can't do better than your best. And you're trying very hard. Ease up, cut yourself some slack, accept yourself saying, I'm trying to do my best and doing the, whatever I can do and stop feeling guilty. When you do that, you'll see that you'll even be more productive. I think this is a very important for a lot of people, which I see just to be, be able to accept themselves because the real growth could only come after you're okay with the way you are. You know, it could be, I should I do this, I should do more of that. You know, like you said, guilty, I'm not sure, but to really be okay with where I am. Yeah. And then, and then see, okay, so what, what else can I do? Yeah, it's a, wrong, a big problem. A lot of people can't do it. Okay, Rabbi Salman, can we jump into the to the mail question that every mail has? Uh, I don't think so, but you're going to do it anyway. So we're going to do it anyway, right? It's live, so there's no boxes. That's right. Okay, so the the question that probably this is resonates with most males. We got a few of them, but I'm just going to combine two of them. It's basically similar. I have a job, my wife works, and we just can't make ends meet. I'm struggling. I don't see a way out. What is the right touch? What's the right approach with betochen? That's question A. Question B. I work so hard to achieve a financial, a goal financially, educationally, relationship, and it's just not working. I am frustrated. What can I do? I'm about to give up. Well, don't give up. We don't allow that. Don't give up. Um, that's, the that's the simple answer. A lot of people, I'm not making fun of this, a lot of people are struggling financially, and uh, it hurts their self-esteem, of course, because if they're not making it, everybody's suffering. It's, it's, it's just horrible. And especially in the last six months, you know, businesses are going out and uh, people just not making it, people getting laid off. A lot of pressure, loads of pressure in terms of bitachon. Look, uh, I, I always looked at bitachon uh, in a way that, that says, uh, you remember the mushal of the Hashlech HaLashem Yehavta, the mushal that was given, uh, I think it's a Gemara Megillah, and the mushal that's given and I'll, I'll make it into today's, uh, today's times. Let's say you live in Flatbush. We have some Flatbush people over there and you're driving down uh, Coney Island Avenue. And as you're driving down Coney Island Avenue, you hit Avenue J and you pass a bus stop and there waiting at your bus stop is a good friend of yours. And he is standing there and he's crouched over and he's got this huge box on his back and who knows what he's carrying in there. And he's standing by the bus stop and it's raining and who knows how long it could take till he finds a bus. So what are you gonna do? You pull over, of course. You pull over, you roll down the window. You say, Yossi, get in the car, get in the car. So Yossi says, oh, I'm so happy, thanks so much. He opens up the back door and he gets into the back and, he, and he's happy, thank you so much. He's riding along and as he's riding along, he looks in the rear view mirror and he sees 
and Yossi sees in the back is his friend who he just got in, and he's sitting in the back, ready, and he still has the box on his back. He's, he's sitting in the back seat of the car, but he never put the box down. So he pulls over to the, cor- to the curb and he, he turns around to him and says, what are you, crazy? Is that why I picked you up? So you should sit in the back seat and put the box on your, on your shoulders? I'm driving the car. Put the box down. I'm driving you anyway. It does not heavier for me if you put the box down. Just put the box down. So I think that bitachon works that way. When we say put your burdens on Hashem. You know, what, what does that mean? You know what that means? It's a recognition that he's carrying us anyway. It doesn't hurt to put your burdens down on the Rebbein Shalom. He's doing it anyway. He's keeping you going. He's giving you oxygen. He's allowing you to live, to breathe. He's allow- Everything you have is from him. When you understand that, then you say, okay, I can put the box down also. It's just another piece that he's, any, anyway, he's carrying. So if he's carrying everything else, he can certainly carry that box too. So that's my, my message to people who are, who are struggling. Look, people are, go- are going through Nisiyanus. And, and, and everybody is going through Nisiyanus. And Nisiyanus are, are very, very difficult. But the truth is, and I, I was speaking with, with my Chavrusa today, Rebbeim Shemuel Friedman, and we were talking about this and saying, we have the wrong attitude about Nisiyanus. Nisiyanus proper, pro, properly explained and defined is opportunities. Rebunish Lailam gave everybody famous 10 Nisiyanus to Avram Avinu. You know what? Avram Avinu was the first one who recognized Rebunish Lailam. Why is he giving him Nisiyanus? He should be giving him schar. He should be giving him love. He should give him everything he wants. What does he give him? One Nisayan after the other. Him? He needs Nisayanus? Well, he's the one who recognized you. The answer is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu understood that he wants to help Avram Avinu grow. As great as he is. But with every Nisayan, he grew again and again. And these people who are struggling and people, so many of us, whether it be with, with Parnassa, whether it be with fears and anxiety, whether it be with, with, with kids off the Derech, Nebuch, and Shidduchim, and so many problems. Every Nisayan is an opportunity to grow. It's easy for me to say sitting here, I understand that. I understand that. You're right. I'm not going through the same thing that you're going through. I have my own Nisayanus, and we all do. We all never should trade anybody's peckle for another one. But every Nisayan should be looked at as a Kodesh Baruch who's saying to us, I want you to grow. And when you come out of this, you're going to be a better person. And you are. You're going to grow as a person. It's going to be difficult. And the, it's like a gym and you're working out. And the more you push yourself and the more it hurts, the greater, more muscles you're going to get. And you're going to be stronger and stronger. And you will emerge unless you look at that and you say, and you say I'm giving up. I don't want any part of it. If you don't want any part of it, you're not going to grow. And that's what we're here for. We're here to grow. So if you want to grow, you're going to have to accept those Nisiyanis. That's the way to do it. That is the way that we grow. So that's my message to them.
Okay, so I'm going to jump onto a question that's from a woman. It's also probably more woman-related. Uh, I find day-to-day -day life as a mother with all the children exhausting, and I know everyone talks about self-care. It just doesn't work for me. Everything I tried. What else could you suggest so I could stay sane in an insane world? It doesn't work for her. I assume she means that self-care, that means that, that she can't handle Asha, what do you think? Is that what you mean? She can't ever tell self you self-care. Go get a pedicure. Go get a manicure. So she probably tried it once. It didn't work. So she's looking for option B. Oh, I mean, she take care of herself that that will do it. The first thing that you tell somebody when they're having our time, you say, go do self-care. So she says she's trying self-care, but it's not, uh, she's not being successful with self-care. So either A, she didn't do it right, or B, is there another option? Well, yeah, I think you really have to, to find out. First of all, not every a uh, woman has the same motherly instinct as another one. There are some that can handle uh, 12 kids easily, and I know women like that. And there are tons of them that have two kids and they're exhausted and they say, well, you know, what am I doing? So, you know, each person has his own uh, different set of, uh, of capacity. So she has to ask herself, what is my capacity? And maybe she needs to have uh, help for the kids also. Maybe she needs to have uh, programming where the kids can go out more and they cannot be under her feet so much. Uh, maybe she has a sister or a niece that will come into the house and will relieve her a little bit. She's got to get practical. It's not only about you know, getting the manicure. It's about you know, what is going to be a practical way to ease my burden and to make my life more, more, uh, uh, more enjoyable. You know, and it, it doesn't mean she shouldn't feel guilty that she's going to be spending less time with the kids. In all likelihood, the time she's spending with them is no great time either if she resents having to be with them. So she's better off trying to look for help on the outside and, uh, and maybe trying to grow in her own ruchnius so that she could accept the, uh, the difficulty. Many people have a hard time asking for help, realizing they need help or in being vulnerable and telling somebody, I actually need help. And uh, like you're saying, sometimes you just have to be able to do that, to continue. We all wanna do it on our own. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that. Uh, I, sometimes I look at help, you know, there are, there are people that, that are never asked for help. They just can't do it. And uh, I, I think that in a way, and they should excuse me for saying this, but in a way, they're being very selfish. Because uh, without takers, there are no givers. If you only give and you don't take, you are depriving someone else of giving to you. And sometimes you need to take. And it can hurt. It because, oh, I can't. Oh, it's the last thing I want to do. You know, it says, yeah, but it's a gift to allow someone else to give to you. When you do that, you know, you're, you're, you're a, it's a great feeling to, uh, to be needed. And when you take from somebody else, you're making that person feel needed. You know what a great feeling that is? When people come to you, Menachem, and they, and they need something, you feel good, you have a purpose. You know, Abasha, when you, uh, when, when, you, when you come and people are asking you about, you know, what to do, you feel good. You're, you're having a project, you're having a program, and people need you. It's a great feeling. And people who don't know how to take, they're depriving other people of that great feeling. It works so, very well. It's it's 
<laughs> it feeds well for narcissism. Yeah, right. Um, somebody's, somebody's texting me questions. So I'm going to ask the question, but I want to uh, take it out and make it a little bit more broad. The question the person's texting is, how do you move forward after divorce without feeling that you ruined your life and your children's life? That's the person's specific question, but I want to take it to the next level, more like a harata. Like somebody does something and they, they feel like they messed up or they did something terribly bad. They're done with it. Whatever it is, now they look back in retrospect. They shouldn't have done it. I'm not going to use it as a stressor, but it is lingering. How do you move on from something that you went through and you, you need to move forward? It's a little bit of a different question. Now you're putting it in one barrel there. You know, it's a nice, nice try, but uh, it's a little bit of a different situation because uh, a divorce, most of the time, is something that was very necessary. I've seen many couples who divorced, and it's very rare that I've seen people got divorced when it really wasn't necessary, uh, or, or people didn't feel like it was necessary. So the, the, there shouldn't be any guilt about that. Uh, more often than not, uh, they saved their kids with a divorce rather than ruined their kids' lives. Yeah, there's a price to pay. Yes, uh, it will have an effect on the children, but the children seeing a horrible marriage uh, is no picnic and it's not gonna be a great life for them anyway. So more than likely, there's no guilt involved over here. And the divorce that, that they went through is because it was a, a smart thing to do. And you've gotta look at it and remember time and time again that you did it for a reason and that you were probably suffering, and there's no mitzvah to suffer, and there's no mitzvah to put your kids through that and watch them have a miserable mother and a miserable father. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you, I'm, I'm pro-divorce and everybody, people should get divorced easily. I'm not saying that, don't quote me, don't start calling me and send me my threatening emails and, and et cetera, et cetera. But there is time for it and, uh, uh, there's no reason to look back and have harut about it. You probably did it for a very good reason. Uh, the second part of your question, you know, uh, how to move on after something is something that I think we spoke about before of a hasr satan Guilt, the, the, the excessive guilt is absolutely debilitating. You would not believe the people that I see that cannot move on with their lives because of something that they did. You know, and frankly, you know, it's like, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a slap in the face, if I use an, an extreme expression, but it's a slap in the face to our Torah. Our Torah and the Rabbi Shalom gave us one of the greatest gifts possible, and that is tshuva. Why should tshuva work? Could you imagine you walk into a basin, walk into a, 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 a secular court, and you committed a crime, and you say, Khatasi, or Visi, Koshati, and you clap a little bit in court, this and that. And, say, and you know what, also? Kabola Allah said, I'm never going to do it again. And the judge says, Oh, if that's the case, you're, you're welcome to go free. You know, that's how they would shut that court down faster than they, they, they do it in Pennsylvania. So, what's going on? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in his infinite wisdom and gift to us, says, You can wipe the slate clean. Shuvah can actually, but you, you can you can take you can take zdainos and they can become zachyos. A, a good shuvah completely wipes the slate clean, as if it never happened. So by you saying that you can't let go of something that you did, you're saying I don't really believe in shuvah, and that's the way I look at it, unless your shuvah was faulty. 
But if you have real charata and you have real Kabbalah and your tshuva is complete, there's no reason in the world that you have to sit and suffer and feel guilty and destroy yourself and, and be depressed and, and say, I'll never be the same, I'll never forgive myself. What do you mean you'll never forgive yourself? A Gosh is forgiving you. How dare you say you'll never forgive yourself? You have a responsibility to forgive yourself, speaking a little too strongly. But you have a responsibility to forgive yourself because Rabbanu Shalom says, I'm doing it. Don't be better than Rabbanu Shalom. Don't say, I hold myself to a different standard. Oh, really? It's good enough for the Rabbanu Shalom. I think it should be good enough for you. We all make mistakes. No such thing as a person who doesn't even have mistakes. No such thing. Even our greatest people make mistakes and do a virus. And, and, and Chazal team make a big point of teaching us about the, 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 the misgivings and the, and, the, and the trials, tribulations of, all, of our greatest people to show us that we all had problems. Everybody, every single one of us. It's not only your job, it's your responsibility to forgive yourself. Akash Baruch who's setting the bar, he's a role model. He's saying to you that, he's saying to Salahti, and you have to do the same thing. Tom, the person who asked the question about the divorce and the charata says, I'm crying from your answer. I don't know if that's a good, good thing or a bad thing. You'll find out tomorrow when you get the email. Some, <laughs> some movement. Tears, are, yeah. tears can go either way, but thank you for that. I really look at it that way. And a lot of people don't forgive themselves. That, that's not the Yiddish way. And it's not easy. You have to work on yourself, but that's what you have to do. What would you tell to a person who walks into your office? He says he's Baruch Hashem married with four kids, but he needs help getting out of depression. And the other thing he mentions is he tried looking for a career. He's not, not sure what, what career he's looking for. And he doesn't feel any sipok. He's been working for many years without SIPO. Well, I would say certainly that you have to consider that you know his depression is related to that. Of course, there are a lot of people working without SIPO who are not depressed. He's using the word depression, but a lot of people use that word. It's a funny word. It's a, it's a word that just gets thrown around. I, I feel depressed. You know, depression is a clinical term. Uh, and, and needs to be diagnosed and treated seriously. So I don't know if he means that he really feels a clinical depression or he feels upset, you know, if, if he has no sepuk in, in what he does and he needs that very badly, then uh, he's got to find some other way to do it. A lot of people are working in offices and working at jobs that they don't have sepuk in, but you know what, pays the bills and they don't really care. And I, I say, you know, go ahead, why, why not, you know? Uh, that, that ha I think that happens a lot. I don't think that your seepuk has to come from your job. That's a big mistake. You know, you could be sitting home for uh, many years looking for a job with seepuk. So don't necessarily look for that. But there are other ways to get seepuk. You know, you can volunteer for an organization. You can you can write an article. You you can do you can do chasadim. You can uh, you can become a baltfila. You can be the gabai bishul. You can put together a dinner. There are thousands, thousands of things and projects today. You know, me comes to Israel. You can do so many things. So you can get sipak in a lot of ways. But if you're really depressed 
and it's a serious depression, there are a lot of uh, very sophisticated ways and new ways that people are treating depression. Um, besides medication, a lot of people are taking medication. And I encourage people to take medication. A lot of those medications are not working. I just have to tell you, my son, who I think is on this chat somewhere, has a fantastic uh, new treatment called TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is very helpful for depression. Uh, you can look up TMS, uh, Google it and see it. Uh, people are finding it. It's a non-invasive way of treating depression, helping a lot of people. They're great strides, great medical strides. Even the medications are much more sophisticated. The SSRIs that came about like 20 years ago are much more sophisticated than the old medications for depression. So uh, you need a good friend. Sometimes you need medication or sometimes you need TMS or sometimes you're just not really depressed, but you need to find a different way to find your seatbook than in your job. There are ways out there. There are, there are so many things going on. Find your ticket, find your path. Many people have grown the, their, the way they grew up and went to the, through the system. They're basically in a box doing what everybody else does and married yeah. in work and the kids and then, then for some reason they turn around and like they, they call it sipok but then you mentioned you got to become creative and becoming creative for some people it can be very hard especially if it's years and years of just doing what everybody else does now you're going to tell them to think of different things so it could take time till you start thinking of different things sometimes it doesn't uh, they don't think about it yeah don't waste your life folks we're only here for a limited amount of time. I know that's a big chiddush to you. We don't like to think about that. But I mentioned earlier that, uh, I don't know if everybody heard it, some of you came on later, but killing time is suicide on the installment plan. Nobody, nobody wants to do that. And a lot of us are just killing time or wasting our time or you know, just, just, just listening to, 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 to Rudy Giuliani and Tucker Carlson or whoever it is that they're listening to. And you know, it's a lot of fun and entertainment but uh, unless you're spending some good time, otherwise doing something real and doing something that's beneficial and something that you will enjoy and you'll get real satisfaction from, it's, it's Chaval. You're really, uh, and I got to look elsewhere. Okay, Rabbi Salmon, we're getting a lot of questions. Let's try to get some more in before it gets late. Okay. Here we go. You're on. Hi, thank you so much for your time. Um, I just want to actually focus on what you just said about the killing time. What if you're like, your day from the second you get up in the morning until when you go to sleep at night is really on overload. And sometimes you really just want to kill time to like breathe. Is, is that a problem? Cause like, I really feel like sometimes I need to just do nothing and, and literally kill time. And it sounds horrible to waste your time like that, but it's really what gives me the like, the like sanity back to myself in order just to like ground myself. So is there a problem with actually doing that? I'm so lucky that you asked that question because I think I was giving the wrong impression. And I don't want to leave here with people saying that, you know, you have to use every second of your day or else you're, uh, you're, uh, you're over Baltashless. So uh, I'm so glad you brought it up. Absolutely. And not only is it, is it, a, uh, is it okay, it's a chiv, and that they'll shoot me for saying that. But it, you, if you don't spend some time off, I mean, uh, even, even, even Bachram get Bain Azmanim, even even they even during the day they get bein You get a time to to take off and 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 relax and chill 
Yeah, and you absolutely need that. And especially today when there's more anxiety than ever, don't for a second think that you should be spending every second and feeling guilty when you, when you take some time off and kill it. You sit down with that coffee or that Mishpacha magazine or an old, uh, old uh, uh, program of, of getting real here with Coach Menachem and watching it, and, and it's not killing time. I shouldn't say, whoops, I went in the wrong direction for that one. And, uh, and using your time in a way that's not so productive, that's perfectly not only fine, but it is, uh, it is essential. So well, I'm glad you brought it up. You definitely, of course, you got everything with measure. I, I, I try, most important word in life to me is balance. I mean, that's the most, to me, to me I've tried to live my, my life like that. That's the hardest word, but that's the most important word. You've got to balance your life and everybody has his own scale, but he's got his own balance. You got to know how much you can take and how much you need. Now, everybody's got his own thing, but definitely you need some combination of the two. Uh, and if that killing time is is sometimes just checking in on what's going on on the news with the presidency or whatever it is. <laughs> Great. Perfect. I love it. It doesn't sound like killing time. As long as less than eight hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds pretty productive. It doesn't sound like killing time. So if it's needed, it's productive. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. It actually is productive. It's a Yerigal at Sarachalia, we call it. You see, you got to go down. I feel less guilty, Baruch <laughs> You got to go down to go up. When you when you lift that that weight, you bend your knees first and you go down. Right, you gotta, that's what you got to do. You have to. You, you're on you're on you're on a bad road if you just keep going like that. You, you're going to burn out fast. And and never there is there are kids who burn out. There are kids who don't take a break and they're learning 16 hours a day. And I, it needs to be said publicly. There are very 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 few that can withstand that. Very very few. So be careful. Okay, Reverend Salman, let's go. Next slide. Yes, sir. Unmute. Yes, Rabbi Yaakov. There's so many, Baruch Hashem, so many givers like you, like uh, Rabbi Nachum here, Coach Benachem, that listen and hear the pain and the suffering that people have, or at least imagined that they have, and they want to, they want to dissipate, they want to give, give it away, they want to help them. Some of us, as parents, all of us, perform this role. How should we deal with what happens from the impact, what we feel? How should we balance our lives so we can feel like we, we can survive and we can continue to give and not succumb, not fall in any way, not to lose bitachon, not to lose our happiness, not our simcha, nothing. How can we go forward? How do you do it? How does Coach Menachem do it? You only see us in public. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's it's a good point, Menachem. You're, you're asking, you know, uh, when you, when you when you give and when you hear people's problems and maybe in your own families or whoever they are, it can be overwhelming. And how do you cope? Um, not long ago, I love this thought. Not long ago, I saw in a book by Rabbi Pelkowitz. Rabbi Pelkowitz and his son wrote a book together. And I was flipping through the pages, as I often do, uh, and just, you know, not reading the whole thing. And it stopped on a page. And on that page, this is what it said. Ready? It said that being happy 
and being besimcha are not the same thing. I said, oh, I got to read this. What does that mean? Usually we translate simcha as happiness. They said that being happy is a secular concept. Being besimcha is a Yiddish concept. What's the difference? Ready? This difference is, he said that happy, the shayrish of the word happy, but Menachem, tell me if you, if you heard this before. The shayrish of the word happy is happen. Happen, like happenstance. You know when people get happy? When they win the lottery, when their team wins, when, 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 when their president becomes president. When we, when you, uh, when you fall in love, you meet a girl. Yeah, oh, oh, now I'm happy. Now I'm happy. Things just happen. They just happen, and that's how you get happy. The shirish of simcha is take the word sameach, and the shirish is sam mayach. Sin memches sam mayach. Wherever you put your brain, that's how you get happy. So even when you hear tsaras and you hear difficult things, and we all do, but we are still in charge. The Elisha gave us uh, in charge of our brains. And for us, we can think in a way that says, wherever I put my brain, that's where I'm going to be happy. Rav Pam Zechran Lebracha used to say, I remember in his schmoozing all the time, he used to say, he said like this, and he said, and I believe he said, and I saw this in the Reader's Digest. He said, <laughs> and he said, <laughs> and he said, people are searching for the city of happiness. They will find it in the state of mind. Think what a, and what think. a beautiful expression. Some mayach, whatever you put your brain, that's where you'll be besimcha. It's not easy. You have to train your brain. You have to train the brain. You got to make sure that it's in the right place and then you can be besimcha. And you see people who suffer greatly and they have tremendous simcha and we marvel at them and say, how can these people, you know, the, the, the Rebbe Rebzusha, how, how are you happy? His brain was so perfect. His head was so, was so right. Wherever you put your head in. And there are people there who suffering even in the hospitals, even with terminal illnesses, Rahman and you know what, you see them and they're happy and you go, how? How do they do it? It's some mayach. It's not what happens to you. That's not what makes you happy. It's wherever you decide to put your thoughts. And you can put your thoughts in the right place and realize that a Baruch Hu is doing always the right thing for you. And even the difficult things is the right thing for you. And you can be besimcha and you can be happy. And I think, and I thank you for, for somehow being misheard of me to think of that, uh, that, that difference. Thank you. Okay, Rabbi Salomon, somebody texted, what time is Mincha? An inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go to closing. Um, first, I want to say thank you to everybody. Um, again, first of all, Rabbi Yaakov Salomon coming on tonight. People are texting. The speaker's amazing. He gave us so much chizik. I'm getting a bunch of texts over here. Rabbi Salomon, you just know him, as you see how many hundreds of people are here tonight. And that's Shem thousands of people watch it. So thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Big success to me. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, again, I want to thank I want to thank tonight's sponsor. Tonight's sponsor was uh, the Lazili Group. It's a recruiting agency that does executive level placements. Whether you're looking for a new job or for a better opportunity, or if you're a company that's looking for exec executive, please feel free to reach out. Confidentiality is the utmost importance. 
resumes or inquiries can be sent to resumes, R-E-S-U-M-E-S, at lazuli.com. That's T-H-E-L-A-Z-U-L-I.com. Or send a message to 347-452-1880. Thank you again for being the sponsor. Again, next week is going to be Hanukkah. So there will be no share. Everybody enjoy your Hanukkah parties. Enjoy your latkes. Menachem, what are we we doing Hanukkah? What's the story? What's the plans? Regroup. Regroup. Regroup, we think. And the Metro will say everybody December 20th is going to be an amazing share with Matis Miller. I'm sure everybody knows him. Um, he wrote a book on uh, basically putting a, a, a DBT therapy into dealing with difficult children. Um, again, it's very, it's, it's very, very, it's going to be very um, analytical type of, you know, Matis is very by the book. So it should be very, very deep and good. I have to advise everybody to please come uh, the 20th. Rabbi Salman, you ready for this? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. You ready? Okay. We have 30 pending speakers for the show. <laughs> wow. Secret. Wow. Just to let you know. That's a little scary. It's a little yeah. scary. So I'm just letting you know that Baruch Hashem, we're, we're, we're really doing over here a tremendous thing. Coach Menachem for, for, for opening this program, for being mechazek. So many people will really appreciate it. Thank you, Menachem. You're welcome. Anytime. Okay. And um, again, everything is recorded here tonight. It'll be available tomorrow on Menachem's website, menachembernfeld.com. Um, if anybody has any questions for Rabbi Solomon, Rabbi Solomon, you have an email or contact or something? You want to give it out? Yaakov Solomon at Gmail. That's Solomon at Gmail. Y-A-A-K-O-V-S-A-L-O-M-O-N. Got it. And anybody wants to email Menachem, it's coachmenachem at gmail.com. Again, tonight's share share 31. You could listen to it on menachembernfeld.com. There's on all the podcasts on Apple and Spotify. And um, please listen to it. It's beautiful stuff. We have already 31 shirim, so it's really uh, covered some serious topics. Again, I want to thank all our advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop. I want to thank uh, Rabbi Yanif Chazak for promoting us. Special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN Network for always promoting us. Thank you to Z Stender, who makes high-quality stenders. The popular Z Adjustment Sit or Stand model is available. It's customized to put your personal engraving. Go to zstender.com. That's Z-S-T-A-N-D-N.com. Perfect kind of gift. Want to buy me one? Okay. Again, let's go to closing. Coach Menachem, closing words. Uh, thank you very much, Rabushir, and thank you, Rabbi Solomon. I think we're, I picked up a lot tonight. And um, before closing, I just want to mention, sometimes people can be under stress and uh, they can't even hear what we're discussing. Sometimes they can't see any lights at the end of the tunnel. They don't see any way out. And that's what makes it worse. But they do have to um, somehow, like we discussed, a little bit of acceptance, about that that's after the, the anger, which when, you know, there's a process that you go through that um, when you go through the grief, doesn't have to be losing somebody. It's just any situation that you don't like. There is a, there's a mahalach for it till you get to the accepting part. But the stress, the negativity automatically, it hits you. And it, you feel the panic, you feel the negativity inside, deep inside, and it takes you over sometimes. So what I would advise everyone is take a few minutes of your day consciously. It can be even five minutes and actively declutter. You have to find something that you do for a few minutes every day so that you could just take in a little bit of positivity, like deep breathing, whatever, whatever thing you have. Because if you don't, automatically the negativity, the stress takes over and that's 
It can be 100% of the day. But if you can take just 5%, a few minutes of the day, put in a little bit of positivity, a little bit of, of things that help for the stress to make it a little bit better, then slowly, slowly, you can get to a better place and uh, change the way we think. And hopefully, Mitzvah Hashem, with Siyat and Shmaya, we will see everybody in their situation, how we can have growth and Mitzvah Hashem get out and see the light of the end of the tunnel. So thank you very much. And uh, everybody should have a better than Hanukkah. Thank Amen. you, Rehaqel Salman, leave the island with Divir Chizik, feeling inspired, stress-free. Give us the Xanax. Who was <laughs> yours? Yeah, I have one final thought, I, 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 which I, I, I do want to share. It's, it's really uh, one of my favorite thoughts. And it, um, it, it, we spoke a lot about the, this connection with Rabbanu Shalom and how to do it through tefillah, et cetera, and the fact that Bitochen, let me, let me demonstrate it for you in a very real way. And it's a, it's a little bit of an exercise, okay? And this, this I'll close. Let's take a visit to the library. Remember the library, the New York Public Library, New Jersey Public Library, still around. I don't know if you can still go there. Uh, let's go there and let's use a secular example, okay? Uh, let's take a famous secular author, and we're gonna do an experiment. Um, a famous author, let's say Stephen King. I don't know if you ever heard of Stephen King. I never read any of his books, but he's a very famous author. He has written 61 books in his lifetime. He has sold 350 million books in his lifetime. Now, here's the experiment. I want you to go over to the shelf, take out every one of his books, all 61 of his books, and put them on the table face up. Okay? Now, I am going to go over to that table in my magical way. And I will tell you, having never read a single book of his, I will tell you the sequence in which these 61 books were written. You think I can do it? No, no. I've never heard, I never even heard of his book. I know the first book he ever wrote was Carrie. And I know that the last book he ever wrote was If It Bleeds. I looked it up before and it sets the book he wrote this year. And in between, he wrote 59 other books. I'm gonna take all 61 books and having never read one, I'm not gonna to touch them even. I'm just gonna point it out. I'm gonna say one, two, three, four, and I will get the sequence of his books. Can I do it? You're shaking your heads, folks. The answer is you're right. I cannot do it, but I can get pretty close and I'm gonna tell you how. And with this, we'll understand how to connect with the Rabbanu Shloylem. Ready? You see, I never saw that first book that he wrote, Carrie, but I'm willing to put money down that the cover of that book looks like this. Carrie by Stephen King. And the last book that he wrote, If It Bleeds, I haven't seen the cover yet, but I'm betting that it looks like this, if it bleeds, by Stephen King. You see, the more famous he gets, the bigger his name gets on the cover. And the title 
get smaller and smaller. You know why? Because it comes a time when we don't really care what the title is. You go into the store and you say, can I have the new Stephen King book? Oh, you, you want, if it bleeds? I don't know, whatever the name is, give me the because you're a Stephen King fan. You don't know the titles. You don't even know you care about the titles. You just, whatever you wrote, you want to read. So Carrie is very big. Stephen King is very small. The next one, the title gets a little smaller, his name gets a little bigger. And the more famous he gets, the bigger his name gets and the smaller the title gets. Am I right? I think so. So I think I'm going to get pretty close. You see, there are some people in this world, you could look at the title and some people look at the author. If you want to get close to the Manishlaivam and reduce your anxiety, you will look at the author. You don't really care about the titles anymore. All the titles don't matter. Every one of them is the author. I see there are some people here who are Hasidim of the great of Abigdam Miller, Zechran Lebracha. That's how he lived his life. He took every single thing that we saw and he saw the author. He took apple seeds and saw the author. Every a, a tree took a leaf and he saw the author in it. That's what we have to do. We have to find a way that we should be able to see everything that goes on in this world and forget about the title. And even it could be tsaris and it could be difficult things and it could be wonderful things. It's all Yibanesh Lailam. Every single thing we do, every hair, every follicle we have, every, every nail that falls off, every leaf in the forest, every car on the highway, every, every tiny slice of life, it's all Yibanesh Lailam. When you can substitute the titles for the author and constantly see Hashem in your life, You'll have Menuchasanefesh. You'll have Yishapadas, everything will be fine, because then you'll know he's in charge, because everything is his. That's our job. Our job is to go to the library and take out the books, but forget about the titles. It's all about the author. When you connect with that author, everything else doesn't matter. So that's my bracha to all of you. Menachem, you do tremendous work. Even this alone, besides whatever else you do. Abusher, you guys created a monster, as I told you. And I look at this whole thing, all these hundreds and hundreds of people, everybody, and I say, you know what? I'm not even looking at the names because those are the titles. I see the Rabbani Shalom. Rabbani Shalom is in everybody's life. And he put this together. I know you think you created the monster. He put it together. He brought Corona for whatever reason. Believe me, he doesn't want Corona as much as we, more than we don't want Corona but we're trying to grow from it. It came out of it. This is one of the great things that came out of that. We have, we have a community. We have people able to reach out, people able to face their problems. It's a tremendous thing. You take this and you say, it's all part of the author. It's part of his master plan. So that's what we have to do. Take all those pieces of our lives and all those things and say, it's putting it all on the author and say, this is the Banish Lailam and I'm just one small piece of the puzzle. I'm a dot on the screen. You see all dots on the screen lining up. I don't care if you have speaker view or, or tile view or this view or fonts and or all those little tiles playing in this giant scheme, the giant play on Broadway. There is no Broadway anymore. Yeah, he took care of that too. 
everything. So if you look at that and you understand your place in the world and that's what your place is, you'll be the simcha, son mayach. You'll put your, you put your head in the right place. When you put your head in the right place, you'll have no more daigus, no more worries. Worry is, is gone already because you're all just living in his hands. And we'll all be al kanfei nesharim and go to Eretz Yisrael and we'll be greeting the great Mashiach. Said Cain of Mehera, the main one. Thank you. Everybody have a fair Hanukkah. We'll see you December 20th. Thank you, everybody.